So, a little quick announcement before uh, we jump into uh, Isaiah this morning. Uh, Next Sunday is July 2nd. And a little, it's a little tradition around here that we take the Sunday closest to July 4th off. So we're not having church next week, okay? And uh, so we'll kind of put that out there, and there's no church next week. We'll put some signs up on the doors for those that didn't get the word that says where two or more are gathered, there the Lord will be, okay? So y'all just have church in the parking lot, okay? Um, but no, no church uh, next Sunday. And then when we come back in July, uh, for those Sundays following, uh, the Sundays in July, we're going to move to one service, okay? Just for the month of July. It's going to be at 10 a.m. from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. We'll still have uh, kids ministry going on uh, during that time. We're going to push pause on the Bible recap class. Uh, we're going to put some more chairs in here just so that we make sure we all fit. But here's the deal, okay? For those four Sundays... I need you guys to be on your best behavior, okay? Because where you're sitting right now, there's somebody else who sits in that seat the second service, okay? So we don't want any church splits, okay? We don't want to go talk nasty about each other. So we figured out how we're going to determine who gets that seat that you're sitting in. And it's going to be based on how much are you willing to pay, okay? (laughs) Because we're already looking at camp for next year. So no, but, uh, but no, uh, seriously, we'll all, it'll just be fun to be all in, uh, in church together. Uh, and you'll be like, oh, I had no idea that person came to Gospel City Church. Because they, they come to the second service and you come to the first service. So one service for the month of July, after July 2nd, because next week we're, what, we're not having service, okay? So enjoy the time of rest and with your family. And then we'll come back. Uh, on the 9th at 10 a.m., okay? 10 a.m., no church splits. Everybody's on your best behavior, okay? So there we go. Well, we continue our series on um, <clears throat> storyline, and we're looking at this, this thread that runs through the entire Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, um, that points us to Jesus. <clears throat> and today we get to the prophet Isaiah, and we're going to look at his encounter that he had with God. And he had this encounter with the real God of the Bible. And when you and I, when you and I have a real encounter with the God of the Bible, um, there's a shift in our awareness in three different categories. And I just want to give them to us up front uh, to talk about these three shifts and then we'll unpack them as we go along. Um, But uh, the three shifts that we see when we have a real encounter, and we'll talk about what that is and what that means and what that looks like here in a moment. But when we encounter the God of the Bible, there is a shift in our awareness with God. There's a shift in our awareness of self. And there's a shift in the awareness of the world. And so so it's God, it's self, and the world is where we're going this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 this morning is where we're going to be. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is a prophet of, uh, of, uh, of Israel. And here is his account of his experience with the real good of the Bible, real God of the Bible. As we look at the shift in the awareness of God, let's look at verses 1 through 4. So Isaiah writes this He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were flying around. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So Isaiah, he, he comes into the temple of the Lord and he, and he sees the, the, the Lord high and lifted up. And it says that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, now this word glory, it, it literally means weight, okay? In other words, it mean, it's, it's all-encompassing of everything that God is. In other words, you know, a lot of times we just think of God as maybe uh, being loving uh, or maybe being uh, merciful or maybe being strong, but, but it's everything. The glory of God is everything that he is. But it also means, glory also means importance or eminence that, that God wants to be um, first and foremost, that he, he doesn't want to be number one on a list of many others in our lives. He wants to be number one on a list of no others. And, and, and this weight, it's kind of like um, when you drop a, a big rock into a pond and that water is, is displaced, that the, the water is moved. Well, when we encounter the real God of the Bible and everything that he is, that everything in our lives shifts. Everything in our lives is moved. Everything in our lives is impacted. And that when the reality of God comes to Isaiah, um, everything in his life is rearranged and impacted and moved. And, and as a result, his awareness of God has shifted. His awareness of himself, as we're going to see, has shifted. And his awareness of the world around him has shifted. All because he's experienced the glory of God. The, uh, the weight of God, the, the importance of God, the value of who he is. Now, there, there's two different camps that I want to talk about this morning. In, in, in one camp is when we just know about God, okay? That God is, is like a concept. And, and, and then there's another camp of knowing God personally through a relationship with Jesus. And those two camps are, are vastly different. You see, when, when, when we just have a concept of God, that God is, yeah, he's creator, but he's this, you know, he's this being, you know, up in the sky and he's distant and unapproachable and it's not really involved, not really that personal. And, you know, he gets involved every now and then in my life. And, you know, I kind of think of him as, you know, kind of like, you know, my grandpa or, uh, or maybe, maybe for me, he's just this judge up in the sky and he's looking down, and he's weighing the good things versus the bad things. But when, when God is just a concept, when we just know about God and we haven't really encountered God, well, what, what's going to happen is that view of God is very light. That view of God is not going to impact us. That, God, that view of God is not heavy enough, not weighty enough to, to move us. It's not, it's not heavy enough or weighty enough to, to rearrange our priorities. And what's going to happen if, if we just go through life with this concept of, uh, of God and not really know God 
personally, what's going to happen is when our approach to the Bible and this whole storyline series is going to be, well, you know, pastor, that's, that's, that's cute and everything. And, you know, I'm glad we're going through the Bible. I think that's important because it probably has some good, you know, business tips or leadership tips or parenting tips. But, but you know, when it comes to this part of the Bible, I don't, I don't really agree with that. And, you know, when it comes to this part of the Bible, I don't really think that's really re- relevant today. And when it comes to this part of the Bible, uh, you know, that's kind of offensive. And so we take this approach to God's word as we're going to pick and choose. And basically what we're living out and what we're saying to ourselves and saying to the world and saying to God is my feelings get to determine and dictate truth. And instead of bending my life around God and who he is and his truth, I'm going to bend him around me. I'm going to bend his truth around my feelings because I'm going to determine what's true for me. And what's true for me may not feel like what needs to be true for you. And when that, if that's just our concept of God, our God will have no power. Our, our God will have, have no, uh, no changing qualities about us. He, 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 he'll never disagree with us. He'll, he'll never contradict us. And he will certainly never change us from the inside out. But when we experience who God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we experience his his holiness and his righteousness and his justice and his strength and his might and his compassion and his kindness and his gentleness and his love and his mercy. When we experience that, it moves us. It rearranges us. It, 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 it transforms us from the inside out. And this is the kind of encounter that Isaiah has and that you and I can have through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we experience, when we allow God to define who he is and not the world and not culture and not not even us, when we allow God to define and reveal himself to us, everything that he has, we experience his glory. And his glory has weight in our lives. And even though we may not feel like it or agree with it, we we come to the point of saying, okay, God, I want to yield my life to your word. I I want to submit my life to your truth. And we're transformed because our view of God has shifted. Our awareness of God has shifted. Isaiah, his, his awareness of himself also shifts. Look at uh, verses uh, 5 through 7. Isaiah says, he says, woe to me. All right, translation is, I'm done for. Okay? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so his, his awareness of himself has shifted because he's experienced God. And when he experiences God, he experiences this radical beauty of God, this radical humility of self, and this radical purity. So let's, let's just talk about these things. The radical beauty. 
So um, these creatures, okay, and these, these are terrifying creatures. I mean, they are seraphim, okay? They, they are powerful, majestic creatures. They're not fat, naked babies fly, you know, flying around with harps, okay? Singing, ah. I mean, Caleb, how was that? Is that a good audition there, maybe? Uh, so uh, these are fierce creatures, and they are flying around declaring the, the glory of God. And they're crying out and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. And the other ones cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the earth is filled with his glory. And this is just being sung and shouted and declared and cried out all the time. Now, in the Hebrew language, to, uh, to convey magnitude, what you would do in the Hebrew language that this is written in is you would double a word, okay? Uh, it's kind of like for us when we say, well, do you like him or do you like him like him, okay? It's kind of like that. You know, is it hot or is it hot, hot outside? You know, that kind of deal. So never in the Hebrew language is a word tripled except for here. And what, what Isaiah is telling us is that here God is in a category beyond categories. That he is in his own category and he is holy, holy, holy. Now, holy or holiness doesn't just mean set apart. And it doesn't just mean without blemish. And it doesn't just mean without sin. But holiness also means brilliance and beauty. Now think about When was the last time you saw something so beautiful, it just took your breath away? That that you just thought about it all day. And and, and anytime you, you were around somebody, you're like, oh my gosh, I was up at this ungodly hour and I saw the sunrise come come over the mountains, and I've never seen anything more beautiful. Or, or, or maybe it was when you were at the beach and you're, you, you've just been out at the beach all day and you've decided, I'm not going to go in. I'm just going to sit here. And I'm just going to watch the sunset. And you see the, 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 the sky go from blue to pink to purple to just this bright orange. And it lights up, the sun lights up the entire sky. And you're like, and I've never seen a sunset like that. And these angels, they, these seraphim, They're captivated by the beauty of God. And they can't shut up about it. And they just call out, holy, holy, holy. How beautiful, how majestic, how wonderful is our Lord Almighty. His glory, the weight, the importance, his magnitude fills the whole earth. And God's holiness, God's beauty is just satisfying these seraphim and satisfying everyone in the presence of God Almighty. You and I, we, we will experience that like Isaiah one day. But until then, God gives us just little glimpses of his beauty, of his holiness. So as you're out this summer, just watch for those opportunities as nature declares his glory. And 
Isaiah experiences this radical humility. Verse five, he says, woe to me. In other words, I don't deserve to live. And Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, Isaiah is starting to realize when he encounters the God of the Bible that he's part of the problem. I mean, have we noticed that, that a lot of times that people blame others for their problems, right? Well, you know, it, it, you know, if my parents wouldn't have made that decision, well, you know, it wasn't my fault, mom, dad, you know, the teacher, you know, the teacher decided that, you know, she was going to give that homework at the last minute. And, you know, you know, or, you know, it's not my fault. I mean, blame these little kids that you had after me. That was their fault. You know, it's not my fault. I was, per- my world was perfectly fine until they came along. It's always somebody else's fault. But here, Isaiah is saying, hey, I'm part of the problem. I'm realizing the depth of my depravity, the depth of my wickedness, the depth of my, my, my sinfulness, the depth of my, my flesh. And he confesses his sin to, to God. And as soon as he confesses his sin, he, he, he experiences this radical purity. That the moment he confesses his sin, this angel begins to fly, the seraphim begins to fly towards him with this hot coal of the fire of God. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the fire of God, it represents, it represents uh, judgment and wrath. Never does it represent cleansing or purification. And, and, and Isaiah confesses his sin and immediately this this seraphim picks up a, with tongs, picks up this coal out of the fire of God and starts flying directly for Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, this is it. Woe is me. I'm a goner. I'm done for. I'm doomed. I mean, here it comes. Just lay it on me. It's what I deserve. And that hot fire touches the lips of Isaiah and immediately he's cleansed. And his sins are atoned for. In other words, his guilt has been taken away. In verse 8, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You see, one second after Isaiah is cleansed, God says, You know, I, I have a job that I need done. And Isaiah shoots his hand up and he says, Here I am. Send me. And and God says to Isaiah, you are going to preach and preach and preach and preach and no one is ever going to listen, ever. And all of a sudden, I think, man, I've got something in common with Isaiah. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Because you're going to preach and no one is going to listen and you're going to be persecuted daily. And Isaiah still says, here am I. Send me. And here's what's happened to Isaiah. His self-image has been deconstructed and reconstructed by God. And at that moment, Isaiah began to realize when he encountered the glory of God, everything that God is, he began to realize that he is far more wicked than he ever dared believe about himself. None of us want to believe we're that wicked. 
But he, he, he started to realize he was far more wicked than he ever dared believed. But he was also far more loved than he ever dared hoped. And you and I, we are far more loved by God than we'll ever know. Than we ever dare imagined that we are. And Isaiah has this new self-image. You see, outside of God's grace, everybody is trying to earn their self-worth through some kind of performance standard. Outside of God's grace, outside of God's love, outside of a relationship with our Heavenly Father, defined through faith in Jesus Christ, we are all trying to gain our self-worth through some kind of performance standard. You know, if I could just, you know, get to this level in my company, if I can just get this title or this promotion, then I'll feel like I made it. If I, could just, if I could just make this much money, then I'll feel like I'm more secure and I can, I can relax a little bit. Or, you know, if my kids can just get onto that travel team, then I'll feel like it's all been worth it. Or if my kids can just get into that school or if my kids can just, you know, accomplish this, then I'll feel like I'm a good enough parent. And it's all based on somebody else, on a, this performance standard. And what's going to happen if we buy into that is we will start searching for people that we're outperforming to make us feel better about ourselves. But the other side of that coin is we will, our hearts will always find somebody who's outperforming us. And we'll feel terrible about ourselves and we will resent them. But only by the grace of God. When we put our faith in Jesus, does our self-worth become defined by what Jesus has done and not us? I mean, think about it for just think about it. What said, and we've said this before, but what says that you and I are more accepted than Jesus dying on the cross for us? I mean, because that, that travel baseball team said to our kid, hey, you're in. Does that say that we're, that we're more accepted than Jesus dying on the cross? Or, or, or let's take the dying on the cross. Let's say Jesus' love for us and he proved it on the cross. So is any promotion tell us that we're more significant than Jesus dying on the cross and his love for us? He says, you are that important. You're that valuable. You're that special. I'm willing to live the life you can't live, die the death that you deserve, and I'll go to the cross to prove it. See, it puts everything in perspective. It, it shifts our awareness of ourself that no longer do we have to go through life trying to prove ourselves worthy to others or worthy to God or worthy to ourselves, but that Jesus has already done it for us. And we put our faith in him. And it, it is a shift in our awareness of ourselves. That yes, we are far more wicked than we ever dare believe, but we are far more loved than we ever dare hoped. And then last, and this is quick, so when we experience the God of the Bible, our awareness of the world shifts. When we experience the glory of God, everything that God is, his, his power, his might, his, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his compassion, his mercy, his gentleness, his love, his grace. When we experience all of that, we, we are sent out. And there's three things that make us useful to God, okay? One is our availability. To say, here am I. 
that, that God becomes more real and he becomes more important than our own needs. And we all want God to be available to us and he is available to us 24-7. But have we ever thought, how can I make myself available to him? Am I, am I willing to shift our, our commitments and, and our schedules and pull back a little bit so we can be more available to him? Am I, am I willing to reduce the to-do list uh, that I've created so I can be more available to him? And are we willing to, to, to shift our finances around so we can have more available to him? So it's availability. Second is dependability. That Isaiah says, here am I. And God says, you're going to become so frustrated because people are going to say, we don't want to hear this. 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 And and it's going to get so bad. It's going to get so bad. And you're going to have to say to them, guys, God is actually going to give you what your hearts want. And it's not going to be good. See Romans chapter 1. But... Because of God's glory in our lives, are we dependable? Do we make our commitment to him based on our schedules or our schedules based on our commitment to him? I mean, man, this church, I mean, people say you guys are just so generous and, and, and you guys are. And in my own life, Sarah and I are asking the question, hey, do we just give what we're not going to miss anyway? Or are we willing to give where we got to make some actual shifts in our calendar? That we've got to, you know, give up some things because we want to make, make more available to him. We want to be more dependable to him. So availability, dependability, and then expectancy. That God says to Isaiah, this is going to be terrible for you and the people of Israel. And it's going to be one disaster after another. And you will never see it get better. But there's some good news, Isaiah. And the good news, God says to Isaiah, I will bring about a new spiritual reality. And I will send a savior one day. And he is not just going to rescue the people of Israel, but he's going to rescue the world. And he's going to live the life that they can't live and die the death that they deserve. And anybody who puts their faith in him will have salvation and forgiveness of sins. And if you flip over just a few more chapters, God says to Isaiah, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, an almighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And not only that, Isaiah, will he come and he rescue the world, but one day he will come back. He will come back and he will make all things right for those who are in Christ Jesus. That one day Jesus will return and everything that is sad about our lives will come untrue. That everything that's been stolen from us because of sin and disease and death will be restored for those that are in Christ Jesus. And until he comes back, that's the hope that we hang on to. That one day, one day, all things will be made new. And the band's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a time of response. And and, uh, let me just ask you, when, when was the last time you had an experience with the real God of the Bible. 
that you were just in awe of something so beautiful that he created? Or when was the last time that you had this shift in yourself and you began to realize just how little we are and how big he is? When was the last time we experienced God in such a way that we had this compassion and this love for those around us that we had to do something about? Man, let's not let these days of summer just be put on autopilot, but let's press in and let's experience the beauty of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the compassion and love and mercy every day. And here's the deal. We get to experience that every day through his word. Every day we have the opportunity to read in his word and, and see him in his story pursuing us and setting things up in the Old Testament to send his son in the New Testament to rescue you and I from our sins.